Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. So, welcome to Recovery Sort Of. My name's Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm Jason. I'm still trying to recover. <laughs> and today we're here with Dave. Uh, Dave is a Zen, is it monk or priest? priest? Uh, Zen priest. Zen priest. priest. Uh, he is also a person in recovery. He's going to tell us a little bit about his uh, journey, how he found meditation, how it's benefited him in his recovery. And I'm going to introduce Dave. Dave, we'd like to give you a couple minutes to introduce yourself, probably five to... Eight minutes. Jason likes the eight-minute limit. <laughs> sure, yeah. Everybody listens, but I, I try. <laughs> no, but cut me off, please. <laughs> it's always funny because it's like I always think like five to ten, and then he's like five to eight, which eight sounds really specific. <laughs> uh, I just feel like if any of us talks for more than eight minutes, then somebody's getting bored. People zone out. <laughs> I do. So I'm probably rambling on for eight minutes now, so yeah, I better yeah, shut your up. Time's up Billy. Uh, but no, Dave, please right. introduce yourself. Tell us a little about yourself and what you're doing these days. Great. So my name's Dave and I have been in recovery for 11 years, um, just celebrated 11 years. And uh, meditation's a big part of my experience. Um, so yeah, I, where do I start? I don't I'm not trying to do the whole thing, right? <laughs> like, we don't need to do the whole thing. That's for meetings, um, <laughs> right? So, you know, I had a childhood and a lot of it was great. Some of it was not, right? And it had profound effect on me, you know, and I went to the Marines, um, you know, and it, and there's, there's kind of some shifts that happen to you mentally in the Marines as well that are really positive. And then some maybe not right some are very difficult especially when you're coming back to the world right and you know trying to function the coping mechanisms you develop in the marines are very different and very unacceptable <laughs> in, in the world right <laughs> you know like uh you know like it, it, one way to deal with things stress there is you know fight your friends um you know you just go on a to a pit in the ground you fight your friends and headbutt them in the nose and you hug and you know then you go surfing together and everything's good <laughs> like glad i've got that out right so fight um, club. it's my new parenting <laughs> exactly, technique right. exactly it's fight club it, exactly yeah i never connected that but of course um so yeah so you know coming out of that and you know getting into college and everything like that you know it's just um had some adjustment you know challenges that that made life pretty hard and um and you know uh using became a big part of that coping mechanism you know because it kind of works for a little bit or at least it seems like it does until it doesn't then when it doesn't it really doesn't and you know it does never does again so uh you know just long dark dark story there um which will kind of just say that much about it and um you know i got help a couple times and uh back up a little bit i always had interest in meditation right since i was I don't know, since I was becoming an adolescent, um, I had a lot of interest in breaking out of, you know, my kind of cultural family tradition. Um, you know, I just, I just 
I had questions. I had too many questions, right? Um, not too many. I had a lot of good questions, you know? Um, and so, you know, I was always looking for other things. And so when I got help, you know, I'd already been meditating on my own a little bit. And I met a psychotherapist who, you know, had a meditation every morning. And I started doing that every morning. And then when I left treatment, I just continued doing that with him. I'd go back and just sit with him and the other guys. And, um, you know, reached a point after practicing on my own, a little bit of that for a couple of years where I was like, you know, I need a teacher. This isn't going to go any further by itself. And it's a very common experience. Um, so I found a teacher uh, in Lansdowne, PA, at uh, Soji Zen Center, S-O-J-I. Um, and uh, definitely seemed like the right teacher for me. It is a uh, way more formal Zen Center than my understanding of many others. I haven't been to a lot of others, um, but this is my understanding that we're, we're very much on the formal side. Um, like we have priests there um, and not no ways better or worse or anything like that. It's just a, you know, different approach. So, um, gosh, I think I joined there in probably 2013 and I believe I was ordained in 2015. I should know these dates a little bit better, um, you know, but, uh, boy, time just goes, you've got yeah. a family and you're trying oh, to do this yeah. and you're trying to do that. And you got a full-time job and I'm in grad school right now yeah. too. Um, my brain is just, so hopefully I can make a little bit of sense in this podcast today. <laughs> I just came out of finals on Wednesday. So, um, so what that's about, I'm in graduate school right now to get my master of social work. Um, so I want to, awesome. um, kind of take the work I've been doing for education, which is all social emotional learning and um, like restorative discipline for, you know, students that are often labeled at risk um, and just kind of get more uh, abilities to serve in a different capacity um, as well. So I want to go serve, you know, probably veterans for a while. Um, yeah. So I don't know what mark I'm at, but <laughs> I, uh, so I was ordained, I'm a novice priest. Um, it takes it, things in Zen kind of move slowly in a sense. Um, it, my teacher is, he's, he's rigorous, right? He wants to, he doesn't just give you stuff, right? He, he wants you to really become clear, right? Before, you know, you kind of move on to the next level. And when I say next level, I kind of mean it next capacity to serve, right? So I am not a teacher. Um, I have a meditation group that is local. Um, we are just restarting it again. COVID kind of really shut us down for a little bit. Um, it's called empty circle meditation and we've got a website, emptycirclemeditation.com or .org and a little Facebook page and stuff. Um, so we're hoping to be back in action in person. Um, hopefully by the end of this month, uh, I'm still speaking with the place that we use the space, um, to make sure we're working all that stuff out because it's a, it's a place where they teach karate and stuff. And so we've got to really respect regulations and COVID. Yeah. So a novice priest means that, um, I am learning to be a full priest and that takes some time. Maybe we can stop there. I, I feel like I'm going to say something offensive at some point. I just already feel <laughs> it. And I don't mean to, but I just can't help myself sometimes. Say it. Uh, do you get to marry people when you're a Zen priest? Is that like part of the... <laughs> That's the only thing I know priests do. They give out communion and, 
and marry people. So what what does that include? Yeah, yes. So, okay, what is a priest? How about that? And, and we'll get into that. So to me, in my mind, um, okay, so go to the Zen Center, practice, you show like a level of commitment. And, you know, then the teacher may ask you if you want to be take the next level of commitment. And that's something called Jukai. And that's when, you know, you you take these precepts, which are vows, right? And, and they're, they're great vows, you know, like, like don't kill and um that's nice yeah you know <laughs> um and you know uh one, one of the ones I, I like a lot is to, to not not engage in um talk that lowers other people to elevate yourself mm. that's like that's like a, a, Ooh, a sin tough. Yeah, yeah it's very very <laughs> tough um especially being a manager at work i'm like an assistant <laughs> right. principal where i work and so it's like yeah, part yeah. of my job is literally to do that at right. certain times but you know that that is the practice um so and then um a couple years after that um my teacher i had started a meditation group he wanted me to do that and i did that and so uh becoming a priest was uh, another way to be able to serve so i kind of look at it as a demotion just what i say is the way i look at it um because what we do is we kind of keep the space for people to meditate and um oftentimes we're putting that job before our own practice that becomes our practice yeah. so we'll be running around behind the scenes a little bit getting everything you know getting everything ready and holding these traditions that have been passed down for thousands of years um and we're kind of the keeper of that and serving the meditators first and then we get to meditate so um that's my take on it um <laughs> So do I get to marry people? Um, not quite yet. If if I if somebody asked me to marry them, I'd have to ask my teacher and he could give me a little more training on that and decide whether he wants to allow me to do that yet, sign off on that. But once I receive Denkai, which is full priest, um, I should be able to do all those things, funerals, weddings, um, things like that. So I haven't decided if I'm going to make his voice high-pitched when in the post-edit or if I'm going to make ours lower, <laughs> but uh, something's got to happen. Just to get off topic here for a second, uh, we, we did a meditation podcast. It was our first yeah, one, our very first and, one, and we probably, I have not listened to it in a long time, but it's probably pretty rough at this point. <laughs> uh, and another thing I did need to mention is that um, Sarah gave us a donation. So this episode is brought by... Sarah and oh, Julie. They're, thank they're you, like Sarah. sponsors. Thank right. you, Julie. Wow. And, and for anybody wondering, we do not make a million dollars. Billy and I are not going to buy a yacht anytime <laughs> soon. Um, we have decided, though, that, you know, yeah, there's some money involved in podcasting and in equipment upkeep and, you know, whatever else that it might be, but we're not going to get rich off of this. And so the donations that come in, if they don't need to be used for any podcasting things, we're going to invest them back into the community we're not here to make a billion dollars so anybody that wanted to donate or thought about donating uh just wanted to let you know that that's our goal and mission uh to continue using this as a vehicle for help and now we can get back to the meditation topic <laughs> so yeah i think interestingly for me and i think jason as well was raised catholic so our oh, yeah. understanding of what a priest is comes solely from you know catholic priest that's what we knew do Zen priests like little boys too? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not aware of that being uh, much of a problem. <laughs> no, but I mean, but in Zen, there is controversy as well. Really? You know, yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, student teacher relationships, you know, have become unhealthy 
Um, so yeah, Zen is not, it's not immune to controversy. That's for sure. From the human failings. <laughs> yes. yes. Human shortcomings. Sorry, they get everybody. On. They we'll even get the Zen priest. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Being human, right? Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like for myself, similarly, as I was growing up, I never felt like the Christian religion philosophy fit me very well. I, I just say I had a lot of questions and I looked into a lot of, I guess you'd call it uh, Asian, you know, beliefs Zen, and well, I didn't know that. They, yeah, Eastern. Uh, I never get the politically correct terms right. I, I don't know if it's politically correct. It, just uh, it might be wrong Eastern. nowadays. I think Asia is a place. Yeah, it uh, is. <laughs> But I found that them interesting uh, and sort of got introduced to some of those practices early when I first was introduced to recovery because part of the steps, you know, one of the steps, the 11th step talks about prayer and meditation. And so I explored some of that. I think in treatment, we did like some guided meditations where you laid on the ground and they played some happy music and you did different things like that. <laughs> Um, what? Happy music. Right. What the hell is that? I don't remember. What is happy never... music? Oh, like. Uh, I think of like nursery rhymes or something. Nursery rhymes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess relaxing music. Okay. Uh, like relaxing. spa music. Oh. Uh, better? I, I call uh, yeah. it happy music. Put you in a happy place. But like <laughs> spa music or, or you know, <laughs> that usually instrumental with no words. That and... is not what I thought of as happy music. Oh, no. Waves in the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah that kind That's of stuff. stuff. And Why then not? it would be some sort of guided meditation. That's what That was my introduction to meditation. Relaxing's and cool. I never really understood or, or explored much of the different practices, you know, that there are many different meditation practices. Later on in my recovery, I've gotten into some of that. I had a sponsor who was into uh, Shambhala mm -hmm. meditation. And then I explored some Vipassana meditation, and I guess now a big uh, mindfulness is a big thing everybody pushes. Although I don't know if that is actually a practice or just something that people say because it sounds good. I practice mindfulness. It's, like It's a thing. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it can almost be kind of a bad word. Yeah, right. That's used, what I'm starting to feel like, too. Yeah, it's like, it can be flung around a little too liberally. It's become this catch-all for... People it, that want to do whatever they're doing and call it meditation. It can be dangerous too. <laughs> yeah. Great. So now you're mindful of your problem. <laughs> right. What do you do? Now what? Like my teacher has a book that he put out called Zen Beyond Mindfulness. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, the way I see it is kind of like, hey, mindfulness is great and it's not enough, right? Because, you know, we've got these coping mechanisms and everything like that. And they're, they're there for a reason. And now you're just mindful of this problem of this pain and it, people have had a really hard time with that if they don't know what to do with that so i feel like every problem we come to on this podcast involves what america or western society has screwed up like <laughs> i feel like mindfulness right. is our our selling of meditation to people in our society it's like oh no it's it's mindful it's not woo woo or, or buddhism or none of that it's mindful. right that's what like yeah we just missed the point so often. I think Christians used to meditate. And like then somehow when it came over to us, now they don't anymore. Hmm. So now we're like, oh, meditation. It must be Buddhism or something or, or an Eastern philosophy. But I think all religions meditated at some point. I just think we've moved away from it in, in America. Huh. I think it kind of depends on 
you know, definition of meditation, you know, so, right. um, well, I mean, I know a couple Catholic nuns that are Zen teachers, like they've been doing Zen for over 20 years and they've got, um, recognition, they've got a seal of approval. You are a Zen teacher, you know, like a Zen mm -hmm. master, to, you know, and they've been nuns for like 60 years. Right. And so we've got, um, Muslims come practice with us. Um, a lot of Jewish folk, um, I, I don't know why it's just, uh, it's, a, it's interesting and, huh. um, Christians and Buddhists and atheists. Um, right. So, you know, folks that are really not interested in anything that they consider dogmatic or anything like that, you know? And so I think it's one of the interesting things about mindfulness. And I think it's great that it's here in this country. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's really great that, that we've adopted this practice in this country to whatever degree it is. Um, you know, and there's going to be these times where the pendulum's going to swing back and forth, you know, and it's going to be a cool thing. It's going to lose some of its real impact and it can get strayed in different directions. But the fact that it's here is, is really positive. So I got to ask dumb questions. Zen yeah. is a, a form of Buddhism in some sort? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a kind of um, practice in Mahayana Buddhism. So there are... Um, there's kind of these major schools of Buddhism. So right. Zen, so there's like the, the Theravadins and you'll see more in like India and like Sri Lanka and, and things like that. And they usually, other ones wearing the orange, I believe. Yeah, they're wearing the orange robes. And, um, you know, so in Mahayana is when you get, uh, you know, into Tibet, Tibetan Buddhism is a form of that and then Zen and some other types. And um, it's just a, there's just some different approaches to it. Right. right? And um, Zen is is an interesting one because it's so on one level, it's supposed to be the simplest in a way. Well, we're not, we shouldn't compare, but it's supposed to be extremely simple. Right. And then on the other hand, wow, is it complex. So <laughs> Zen is right. full of paradoxes. And, and it's a really interesting thing because, you know, there's this whole dualistic mindset, right, where, you know, if, if I have an idea, it's got to have an opposite, right? Or, you know, there's a yes, there's a no, there's, you know, there, there's all those things. And, um, you know, how do we kind of step out of that for a minute? So from my understanding, like Buddhism kind of flows in one uh, very simplistic view of in one of two directions. There's the Buddhist religion, but then there's a lot of people or things that practice Buddhist philosophy without the religion is Zen more of the religion side of that or no? Um, well, it depends on what you're considering a religion. So, I mean, there, there'll be Zen masters, like, you know, very well known one day they'll say it's a religion when they're asked in an interview, the next day they, they'll say it's not. Hmm. Um, I think it depends on who's asking, right. And, and what they're bringing forward when they mention religion. So, you know, to go back to like, your experience with Catholicism and things like that. So with Zen, one of the things that connected me to it the most is, is, you know, there's, uh, is great doubt. It's you're encouraged to doubt everything. The Buddha was supposedly have said, you know, don't believe anything I say. And I'm like, okay, I can get into this. <laughs> like, like, cause you know, I, I'm, I'm challenging all this stuff and, um, you know, there's this kind of three things that are really important in, in Buddhist practice. That's great doubt, great faith and great determination, 
you know, and um, just to doubt everything to the fullest, question it all and have determination that you'll find out. And then, then you get some faith in this process. I don't that. know if I believe in that philosophy of doubting everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't have to. <laughs> so uh, you can doubt that philosophy. Yeah, yes, I say. <laughs> doubt that works. <laughs> you know, so, but, you know, there's a lot of people in recovery who, and I, they come to me a lot, um, you know, who struggle with the idea of God, uh, uppercase G, God, mm. right? And there's, there's people that really want to compare themselves out of the program because of that. Um, and I understand that, you know, and I've been to meetings, this is, a, a AA, you know, where, um, not all AA meetings, uh, but I've been to a couple in early recovery where they were doing the Lord's prayer at the end. Right. And okay. That's great for people that that's great for, but that can feel very exclusionary to, to some. Right. And so Buddhism, especially Zen, I, I feel like it, it kind of helps. It's helped me resolve that and find a definition of that that i can't think my way out of and that fits me and step two really helped me do that So I, I'm interested in, in the meditation aspect, right? I think for my life, I believe in meditation. I think it's a huge portion of my recovery and my well-being and my, you know, what we like to call self-care or whatever it is. I think it's crucial for the fact that my brain does not shut the fuck up by itself. And yeah. so I, I need to <laughs> find ways of like combating or, or coping with that. Um, my struggle has been since the very first time I was introduced to any proper, proper with the quotes, of course, uh, <laughs> meditation, I'm a guy who grew up with some stuff that makes me want to do things the rightest right way possible. Yeah. And, and it's a struggle for me because the rightest right way possible honestly doesn't always fit my life very well. Um, so I read a book, I have no idea what form of meditation or what branch it was, but I read a book and I was like, Oh, this posture it describes must be the right way, right? It's in a book. Um, and so it was like, you know, uh, sitting cross-legged, straight back, most of the staples of, of meditation. This particular book was like tongue on the roof of the mouth, yeah. uh, mouth, lips slightly, uh, you know, open, uh, eyes almost fully closed, but not fully, slightly downcast Ooh. view, four to six feet Very in front specific. of you. It was, it was, right? Wow. And I tried to follow it to the best of my ability. Um, and I did all right. I do find I run into a lot of, of back pain um, trying to sit in that posture, yeah. right? And it's been a struggle for me. And so that has actually been one of the things that has held me up from meditating at different times. Um, lately, I've tried to be more lenient because what I did was I was like, oh, well, I'll just find a way or, you know, that my back doesn't hurt. But then it's like, oh, well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this right. <laughs> right. I'm not doing it well enough anymore. And then, then I just start down to myself and all that so 
Anyway, that's a lot to say. I'm, I'm running in my eight minutes now, right? Uh, <laughs> no, that's all good stuff. Those are all legitimate concerns that I think most of us have had. Right. Well, and but then I talked to people about it, and I'm like, I, and we've had a conversation online at some point, and you were like, oh, if you're not doing 20 minutes, it's it's nothing, or, or <laughs> I, that probably wasn't the exact word, but I was like, I was so offended, goddammit, because I was only doing 12 at the time, or, or something, and it's just all these particulars, and I'm like, what matters? What's the real important thing? And so every time I run into people who know more about meditation than me, I talk to Jenny a lot. Um, you know, I was interested in asking you right now. I, I happen to be lucky enough to have a, another meditation teacher that I see once a week. That's pretty awesome. And so I just always want to ask these questions. Like, let's let's delve into the meditation sure. truths. Like, what really matters to get the benefits? truths and so before you yeah. before you answer that, that i just, <laughs> just want to say my introduction to meditation was the couldn't have been more opposite of that as any i had a sponsor who was big into meditation he did this shambhalam and he would go yeah. on retreats for like weekends and and he would say look if you want to start just go outside at night when the moon's out stare at a tree for 10 minutes just do that just go sit outside so he said start there if you can get there a good place to then we'll start working on other stuff later <laughs> that's a good place to start so, i wish i could be easier on yeah myself. so i didn't go into meditation with any of those preconceived I, i'd be thinking too hard about where's my tongue is it on the roof of my mouth? <laughs> i need a protractor to figure out my eye angle yeah, yeah definitely you need to just put an x on the floor in front of you and you're like, surveyors with the orange vest and stuff how many feet <laughs> those mysterious things that they look through who knows what they actually do right yeah. So anyway, Dave, tell us the right way to meditate yes. since we don't know. Oh, the right way. <laughs> Listen. Yeah. Not sure there's a right way, uh, first of all. Um, so I'm hoping whenever I said the thing about the 20 minutes, I'm hoping I said that <laughs> it is uh, – I hope I, I didn't say that you're wrong if you're not doing that. <laughs> I, I'd be su really surprised if I said that. Um, I'm going to have to look back now. But no, look back. And if I did, then I will make a public apology. But, um, what – I hope I said, and what I usually say, I know this for a fact, is that, you know, the, my teacher teaches us to, I mean, any amount is good, right? Um, to start to kind of receive the full benefits, I suppose, um, you know, a lot of that stuff starts after 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it, I think it is a healthy goal to work up to. Um, and it doesn't mean that two minutes is not like, can totally change your day. Right. You know, if I, if, if stuff's getting heavy like i mean i work in a very dynamic place i work we started a boarding school for inner city kids from baltimore and they all you know they bring a lot i'll put it that way and we got a lot of passionate staff so what i'm saying is this is that you can imagine that environment and the passion involved in that and where that passion can take us so if i just stop and take two minutes sometimes i mean that can that can mean the difference between me getting myself fired or like saying something that's really helpful in helping the situation. So you know, um, there's no like strict time guidelines. Um, now I will say through my experience, um, at, at around 22 minutes, I don't want to say a bunch of stuff that's gonna make people like seek out this exact moment. But for me, I've been doing this a while now, and I go on retreats. Um, you know, where we meditate from 5:30 in the morning till you know, like nine at night, Ooh. there's some breaks in there for sure. Um, but you know, and you do that for a bunch of days in a row, you kind of start to see your patterns and at about 22 minutes is when, you know, at least when I'm start first starting in a retreat around or sitting at home around 22 minutes, maybe 18 minutes, uh, is when things kind of open up. 
So, um, so to kind of get back to your question a little bit more, uh, the, the tongue thing and and your mouth slightly open your eyes. So, you know, I mean, those can kind of be more like suggestions. So like something like the tongue, um, as I understand it, that the reason for that is because when you're sitting for a while and all of a sudden you're like salivating and you're like swallowing and, and you start thinking about salivating as am I swallowing loud because I'm in a, like the quietest place in the world right now. And this amazing stillness happens when you meditate long enough. And it's just like, it's almost like a light yet thick, yet airy. Yet, it's all these things in the stillness. And then like, you know, talk about hearing a pin drop and having that just be like this. And so you're sitting there swallowing, you know, like, like choking on your, on your, you know, and so things like putting your tongue on the roof of your mouth may help. It doesn't help me. I it actually, does, I have okay. this exact problem because I swallow yeah. way too much. I actually asked the other meditation guy this. I was like, <laughs> oh. how the fuck do you stop swallowing so yeah. much? Like I got so much spit in my mouth and it's, I feel like it interrupts my meditation. And I'm like, well, what the hell? You know, you can you can eat a cracker. It's, it's I, meditate? I don't know. That make it worse. <laughs> that make it worse. So you don't, but one of the things is to not obsess over that, and that that can help relieve that. You know, because when you're thinking about it, you're going to make it happen, and that that is not just that. It's like an itch too. So I believe it's important to not scratch an itch. Right. Lean into it. Kind of just be with it. Yeah. Right. Um. And and to not worry so much about like the swallowing and the itchiness and some of the pain right because taking that it's important to be able to take this practice off the cushion you know so uh, you're you're on the cushion you're practicing but if it's not if you're not able to take some of those skills like into your life then kind of what's the point right right? so something like the itch and all those other things that you want to react to think about all the things the little things big things that you want to react to you know in your life and it's amazing when I get a real bad itch, you know, I got kind of dry skin. It's wintertime. I get a real bad itch and I just like take a breath and I just notice it and I just put all my focus kind of on it, not to change it, right. not to change it, just to be with it. You know, often it just like gives up, pop, just like goes away. But when I'm like, it's getting worse, it's getting worse. And that, that, that can translate to so many things in your life. Right. Just that person that just irks you. Right. Or that mm-hmm. thing that somebody said, you know, and like, I want to react. Right. That know? need to react to yeah. a thought. Yeah. You sit there and stare at the floor for 30 minutes with like the worst itch in the world and don't react. You cannot <laughs> react to a lot of things. Right. <laughs> you, you get you build up a tolerance. Right. Um, so. So the eyes, um, it is kind of suggested that they're half open and you look somewhere on the floor you know and one of the reasons half open is because if we close our eyes it's really easy to go off into la la land you know next thing you know i'm on outer space flying around whatever it is whatever your thing is um you know so if, if your eyes are wide open it's really easy to be looking around right and so just kind of a half gaze looking down at a spot on the floor so you kind of just somewhere in the middle right and breathing is real important um for many reasons like living but right, also right. you know i'm addicted to breathing personally. yeah <laughs> yeah i just can't quit um, so you know you want to breathe through your stomach um as much as possible what that means is when i take a breath in my stomach goes out when i take a breath out my stomach goes in and if you really pay attention to that throughout your day um many people most people that i talk about this with they'll notice and including myself that I'm doing the opposite, mm-hmm. right? I'm breathing in 
my stomach's going in, reading out, stomach's going out, right? And that's like a lot more work for like, I feel like less air, right? And, and that sends a lot of signals to like the back of your brain, right? That kind of causes, that's like the fight flight, the survival stuff, you know, and it, it starts kind of stressing out and panicking and sending these other signals to the front of your brain where you're trying to make sense of it. And next thing you know, like that thing that that person said, I mean, it was messed up and they shouldn't have done that is having this like huge physical effect on me, you know, the, the, it, it's not getting any better. And like, if then I'm like, wait, watch my breathing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm barely breathing and my stomach is all tight. <sighs> Just kind of take that breath and, you know, it, it, it kind of like calms down. I believe it kind of calms down that kind of primitive brain part there, which really calm everything down and get that kind of executive functioning on board. Um, so breathing is real important. So we, you know, focusing on the breath is a really great practice because you're pretty much always breathing. It's always there <laughs> and it help get you more present. So you want to talk about posture at all or anything? Yeah. Um, yeah mechanics. Throw it so you're, you are allowed to sit in a chair if you want, like, um, please, if you need to sit in a chair, sit in a chair, um, you know, about laying down, I think Jason wants to lay down, right? Well, I, so the, the meditation guy that I'm working with now, he, uh, learned in the yoga Nidra practice, which mm -hmm. is laying down flat on your back. Um, and he said, you know, it's not the only form of meditation he does. And he kind of feels like he gets slightly different benefits out of the different forms. He says in a seated posture, he feels like it's more for focus for him. Mm. And the laying down yoga Nidra posture is more for like body scanning and sensations and relaxation and that kind of stuff. But that's mm. his formal training is there. Okay. Um, so. I do like the laying down. This shit is fucking great. I, I don't ever <laughs> dread. Down's cool. Yeah, I don't ever dread going into that meditation. It's always cool. Oh, um, but I've found that I can sit on a couch in meditation posture as long as I have like that cushion at my back. It's yeah. not like I'm like pressed into it, but as long yeah. as it's there, it doesn't hurt at all. And I'm like, well, fuck it. I'll do it on the couch then because that works. Yeah, you know, and that's fine. Um, so for Zen meditation, which is called Zazen, um, being alert is super important. I mean, we are, we, we, we want to be focused, awake and alert. We do not want to drift off. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I don't want to say that in like a conviction way, like, you know, like trying to push that away, like drifting off, um, because that doesn't work because then, then it makes it worse. Right. right? But, um, it's it's about attention and the clarity that comes with that attention and how much things just kind of open up when you have that attention for a period of time and you keep doing it so um laying on the ground and those practices i'm not i don't really know much about those i mean i understand body scans and i i, I use them i use them you know with i teach them to kids you know that i'm working with who are really stressed out and there's definitely a use um with zen like we're supposed to keep it simple, but then like you got all these instructions. It sounds like you read a book about Zazen. Right? That's like Zen been. instructions. So it's very simple, but yet your tongue's on the roof of your mouth and all this stuff, you know? <laughs> so, um, these are more like suggestions. So the seated posture sitting up has just been kind of determined that for many people, most people that that's the best way to stay alert. Right. Um, and so if you're sitting in a chair, that's fine. It's, it's suggested that your feet are flat and that you are not sitting back in the chair that you're back is you know straight but you know it's easy to go too straight to slouch um now there's also the thing about pain and that's a big deal right um slouching feels good at first 
but boy, you're in for it. You're going to hurt. Overcorrecting, you know, that, that might make you feel proud and like a good meditator at first, but you're going to hurt. You know, once you fatigue those muscles, like, and you got four more days to go, um, you're just going to have to sit with some pain. So, you know, it's a middle, middle road. And that's actually goes to Buddhist teaching. Yeah. The Buddha, you know. The middle path. Yeah. The middle path for real, <laughs> right? Because I'm one that has to, I have to test the extreme paths first <laughs> right. to find my middle path. I've always been like that. That's what got me here uh, for better or worse. And the middle path is, is the best way. You know, the Buddha is said to have, you know, what, eaten one grain of rice you know, a day for two years and stuff and did these extreme aesthetic practices, you know, like clenching his teeth and like squeezing, you know, for however long and all these like extreme things until, you know, he kind of, uh, had his awakening moment where he like let go of that stuff and he just sat. Right. So counting the breath is a good practice, especially in the beginning. Um, and you know, when you count your breath, you know, you, you can count on the in and out, or you can just count on the out. Um, I'll kind of do that when I first sit for the day for just a, just like a couple minutes. It kind of gets me, you know, to focus. Definitely read a Zen book. Yeah. yeah. It was about counting. I wonder what, what, what book was it? Do you remember? I don't know, but he was talking about counting to either seven or 21 for some reason. Like those were the specific uh, numbers. And then he was talking about leading the horse along the edge of the cliff and stuff. This sounds very much <laughs> like what you're saying. Cliffs and like stuff like that sounds like Zen. There's a lot of like, <laughs> like fall off. I always heard count to 10, 10. and then I heard what I found, and I've heard count on the in or out, but then I've also heard that you count on the break in between the breaths, mm. because that tends to be most of the time when your mind wants to wander is on that break in between the breaths, like I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out, one, I'm breathing in, breathing out, two, so that's, that works for me, like counting in that break between breaths, because that's when my head wants to go somewhere else. Interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of the opposite. That's where I'm most at rest. Um, so I'm kind of like in my mind. Don't do this out loud if you're in a meditation <laughs> hall. But you know, in my mind, I'm like one on the out breath, hmm. breathe in two, and a practice is, and it's a very, it's a great intro practice a very good like beginner practice is to do that and every time you have a thought that creeps in you start over at one mm -hmm. and if you make it to 10 without any thoughts or distractions then you start over at one and um you know you find a lot of times it's one <laughs> one <laughs> one two maybe no one you know so here is the heart of this practice um not saying all of zen practice but of this particular kind of beginner form is it's I like to say it's like a workout, right? So it's about reps and um, your mind is going to wander. If you fight that, you're going to make it worse. You know, it's kind of like the disease of addiction, right? Um, <laughs> if you if you're going to fight it, you know, you're going to lose. Only right? in complete surrender. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you got to surrender. And so, so what surrendering looks like on the cushion um is is mind wanders just kind of acknowledge it you know just kind of almost like okay i see yeah i give it a, just a little attention and then i return to the breath wanders i see that return to the breath or counting the breath right wanders you do that over and over again and like a workout right and some days it can maybe very frustrating 
it, it will be. Um, but what will happen over time is you'll get stronger in a sense. Um, and it's not really about strength, but it's just kind of my analogy to working out. And um, you can't just go into the gym and, you know, go in the gym and you work, work out and stand in the mirror like, you know, swole, I'm shred. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like that with this. What will happen over, over time in practice is you have these larger and larger times of clarity where there's really no like words in your mind there's no kind of thinking i don't want to say zero thinking at all because that's a whole other thing but there's it seems like there's no thinking and you're just very aware mm. i could lead you guys in a, in a real quick tool that i like to use i don't know it's kind of eye-opening i'll put it that way uh, to a lot of people that i do this with and i didn't make this up i learned this from somebody else but uh you guys want to do this? Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Okay, cool. If you're driving, don't participate. Until yeah, <laughs> you stopped. Yeah, don't. So, um, and this is not a formal Zen thing or anything like this, um, but I, I, I find that it's a really kind of nice way to experience media immediately, like observing, you know, your thoughts and observing things. Um, so here's what we do. So you kind of take a deep breath from your stomach, stomach goes out, breathe out, stomach goes in just do that a few times. Okay. And this is a podcast, so I don't want to get too lost in silence, right? Um, so what you do is you can pick something that's far away, something that's really far away. For me, I can kind of see out the window. There's some trees over there, whatever's the farthest away for you, and just focus yourself on that. You know, just focus on it while you're breathing from your belly and ask yourself, is that me? Just in your mind. Is that me? Now, of course, on one level, yeah, it is me because we are all things and we are boundless, but that's not really what we're going for in this one, all right? So that is not me because I'm observing that, okay? So who's observing that? Well, let's kind of back up into this. So I'm looking at the tree. For this exercise, I'm not that. All right, so now I'm going to move to something a little closer, maybe halfway in between. I'm going to move to the wall in front of us. I'm going to ask myself, is that me? Okay, right, I'm, it's not me for this exercise because I'm the one observing that. All right, and you can move to your body now, maybe your legs, your knees, take a couple breaths, same thing. Ask yourself, is that me? You may be tempted to say yes, but what happens if you were amputated? You didn't have legs down there. Would you still be you? You can move to something a little closer, maybe your arms or your, your chest area, your abdomen, is that me? Well, maybe. What happens if we close our eyes and this time we just observe our thoughts? Now, when we first sit down to observe our thoughts, often they stop, but they'll be back. Okay, so as the thoughts come back, just observe them and ask yourself, is that me? Let them come in and let them go. Now, if those thoughts are you, then who's observing them and that's it you're just left with that question i had to swallow <laughs> you what i had to swallow 
That's okay. I didn't notice if I swallowed or not. <laughs> so my struggle, and it almost gets back to what Jason was talking about with the needing to be right about stuff thing, especially with a lot of these, like, I'll call it like Eastern philosophical, like these questions about is it me and is it not me? I, I honestly get paralyzed in this plate of like in a place of like, I don't know. You tell me if it's me or not. <laughs> like, I don't know what the right answer is because I can intellectualize either of those as being right in any given you know way and it i that's where i get lost with some of that i overthink it you know what i mean i overthink it and overcomplicate some of that who's watching the thinking so (laughs) so you know a big question is zen is who am i and i am not qualified to answer that question (laughs) so um you weren't gonna tell us now we don't know no you know and that i mean you could sit for 20 years trying to and that's one of the the things that we're looking at is really who am i and you know during a meditation retreat at times you can have these i've I've had these very clear experiences right where um where it's perceived that i'm more than just this right like much bigger much larger um and i don't want to describe these experiences too much because you know that's not fair to others because people may seek them um but it's not like these like going outer space or anything like that it's like this clarity right where you're thinking like the words stop right i remember my first meditation retreat and it was like raining the whole time outside right and our teacher was sick unfortunately and so during and zen one of the great things about zen is that we've got this thing called dokusan or interview where um you go into a room just you and the teacher and talk and they you know a skilled teacher will kind of like push you around a little bit not physically but like you know push your mind around a little bit and not give you any place to settle right if you think you know who you are and you go there saying that guess what rug pulling out of under you you're gonna fall you know Mm. and that's kind of their job is to keep pulling the rug out of under you um and what that does is helps free you from attachments into thinking you know who you are right because we build this idea of ourselves and you know when that idea of ourselves um when we feel like it's been violated right that's a lot of anger comes from that you know it's our ego our ego gets bruised right and so how do we you know we have to live with an ego but how do we kind of have a space where there's a bigger mind involved that you know we can we don't we're not owned by the ego right because when that thing owns you and look at the disease of addiction i mean when that thing owns you right and the steps kind of help us look at it i mean that's like the first step is we're literally looking at it right you know we're taking a look at this thing and then it's like by looking at it we realize that we're not just that right because before step one many of us are just consumed by our disease we are our disease right that was my experience um and the steps give us more and more distance from that and it's always there we can cash that check in it any <laughs> i could leave here and, and just dive right back in the disease if i wanted to right um, so there's some similarities with that in my mind with recovery and so yeah so how like obviously you seem to practice pretty regularly um how does that work into your recovery now you know in in today's time like is that an active part of your recovery to consider that two different things or do they work together they they definitely work together so um you know my sponsor uh, talks about how we 
you know, during active addiction, you know, we can, our character can drop really, really low, right? <laughs> um, you know, but once we start doing the steps and, you know, we start getting all the benefits of this, it, you know, we don't like stop, we don't need to stop at average, whatever average may be for you, like an average middle place. In fact, I think for many um, people in recovery, um, just kind of like floating in the in the in the middle ground right <laughs> just not growing is really dangerous for many of us right because if we're in, if i'm not growing i'm going backwards right so um where does it fit in really recovery is like the roots and you, you'll hear me share this frequently for me it's like the roots of like this giant beautiful tree and a tree can blossom and all these wonderful things you know blossom out of this my family and life and zen and all these great things um but it's the roots recovery is the roots because if i don't if i ignore my recovery and there's times where i've kind of not been very involved right and um then it's hard for me to even make it to the cushion right then everything else starts to get darker and more distant and so um it's an extension in a sense of my recovery, uh, in a way. Um, and it's kind of, to me, it is for me personally, I'm not selling it as this, this is for me is like, I, cause I don't, I'm not, I don't want to like get into this dualistic talk about one's better than the other or anything like that. Cause it's not about that at all. Um, for me, recovery being the roots, this foundation, um, you know, Zen is looking deeper into the matter for me um you know it's 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 related it's part of the same kind of question right um it's just taking it further um for me that's my spiritual practice and that's what what is working for me in that way but you know i won't survive if i ignore recovery (laughs) you know Uh, if i faded away from zen for a little while i could probably come back and still be alive right but recovery is the roots if I don't take care of those roots, everything else suffers. And for myself, my practice of meditation is, I'm going to say the way I look at it, and I've never had formal teaching, but in my addiction, I realized like that idea of like first thought wrong. Like most of the time, my (laughs) impulse and my first thought, you know, to, to react to my feelings, you know, is, is going to get me in trouble. And through meditation, and I, I learned this idea through an app. It was called uh, Headspace, which I don't know specifically which – Andy Pudicombe the guy's name, but I don't know what specific practice he teaches, if any, in that app. But it was this picture of, like, all this traffic out on a highway and, you know, you walking out into the middle of that traffic. And that sort of traffic is my thoughts that are flying around in my head. I got all these thoughts going around, you know, all the time, and I'm standing in the middle of it you know, all caught up in it. And what I need to do is kind of step back out of that traffic, get out of the middle of it, you know, and, and sort of just observe it. I can just observe it. I don't have to be reacting to it all the time. I thought you were going to say Frogger is meditation. Right. Where are we going with this? I like so this. <laughs> later on now in my life, what I've recognized is that, you know, and to keep up with that metaphor is that like not all my thoughts deserve equal value or attention. For example, some of my thoughts <laughs> are just bad thoughts. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I start thinking like, oh, you're dumb and you're a piece of shit and you shouldn't try and you're going to fail and that stuff. 
Like now I recognize like, oh, that's like the piece of shit old rust bucket car that's barely making it down the road. Whereas more positive thoughts like, hey, you know, you should really try to be, you know, do a, a loving act of kindness towards your kid today. That's like the Ferrari. You know what I yeah. mean? And and by stepping back and recognizing which thoughts have <laughs> or should have more weight in my life, I can put my attention more to those thoughts. And meditations kind of helped me to recognize that and to kind of get out of the middle of like just reacting to all my yeah. thoughts. I'm going to doubt that. <laughs> well, at times though, right? I mean, you're going to get swept away by thoughts. And oh, for then, sure. There's yeah. times where your your practice is going to come in and, and help you not do that. And and thoughts are not the enemy. Right. You know, that's one thing that um, people can get really hung up on is I should have no thinking in meditation, <laughs> you know, and, and now you got two problems. You got the thinking and I should have no thinking, <laughs> you know, um, and it's all those shoulds too. Beck, the psych psychologist said, you know, then, then you gotta be careful cause you're gonna, you're gonna should all over yourself, right? <laughs> <laughs> should in your pants, should on the floor. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, that sounds really good. You know, and what you'll hear it like clouds coming through in your mind and coming in one side and just let it go out the other. Um, and not being owned by this thinking. So in Zen, we often talk about small mind and big mind. Um, and I'm not qualified to teach about big mind. Um, I have an idea about small mind, though. And that's, that's you know, kind of being a slave to our rationalizations and our, and our, our logic. Um, and, you know, there's more to us than that, right? Because we can rationalize, especially as people in recovery, we can rationalize ourselves in and out of anything. Right. Um, at least most people I know, because I mean, look at the things that we did. Right. Look at the life we lived at one point back there in active addiction. What like, wow, what a power of rationalization. <laughs> you must yeah, have right. to think yourself into that. Right. <laughs> um, there, there's way more to us than just simple logic uh, that can be used for good or bad. And, you know, meditation can really help see that, you know, I've yeah. heard women complain about small mind. <laughs> so that's uh, why you gotta practice <laughs> right right practice it sounds like you kind of uh, i don't want to say stumbled upon but fell into came upon zen meditation practice and felt like that was the the one for you did you explore first did you yeah. check out a bunch of different ones or i had um you know i when i lived in baltimore i was going to a shambhala center um, and it seemed great and it seemed nice. It was just, you know, and then I, I sat with that one psychologist and then, um, what drew, what drew me to Zen is that, you know, it, my teacher will say it's a warrior's practice, mm. right? Um, and he, he has decades of martial arts experience with the sword. He went to Japan to study sword as well and ended up, um, kind of getting, he, that's where he got into uh, Zen. Um, and so being a Marine and some of my first experiences kind of entering that space where, um, I'm not controlled by my thoughts and it's this big kind of stillness is was shooting in the Marines. Yeah. Um, and you know, you get to, I got, we get to this point where I, you know, I, I, I would just, I wouldn't even hear the round go off. I would hear the inner workings of the rifle, right? In such a zone, you know, everything just opens up. No, you could have come and kicked me in the side and it would have been okay, right? Because I'm going to take the shot with perfect clarity, right? Um, and, 
and, and I just I love that space. I love that space, and I had a tool to do it right. And so, um, the same the guided meditation. We don't really do that in Zen. We actually we don't. I'm not aware of anybody doing that. Um, and it, that's fine. It's great. I'm not criticizing it. Um, for our practice, it becomes something to hold on to. And we don't want to hold on to anything as best we can, right? We want to kind of let go of all of it. Um, and so, you know, getting into Zen, I don't have the rifle to do that anymore, right? And, um, you know, I, I mean, I was in extreme sports. Like, I took all the extreme sports as extreme as I could to the brink of death, you know, like parachute, like skydiving, and it wasn't enough anymore. So I remember I packed my chute, like, I packed it half right and the rest of it, I shoved it in there, which is a very specific way you fold a parachute. So it will open up when you're going hundred miles an hour towards the earth. Right. And I was like, you know what? This is getting boring. And you jump out just to, just to like get that clarity. Right. Just to get that, you know, it, it almost didn't open. It was like stuck in the back mm-hmm. and then it did open. Um, there is a reserve, but anyway, so how do I get that kind of clarity? Just staring at the floor. Just sit down and stare at the floor, <laughs> you know, um, and that's that's different. And so Zen and also uh, my teacher. So there's Zen places where they, they might be wearing shorts and, and T-shirts and stuff. And that's cool. Um, our place is uh, holds a lot of the practices very in a very similar way as the monastery. Uh, there's a monastery in New York called Zen Mountain Monastery. And, um, you know, they're kind of professional. <laughs> they're, they're monks, right? They're monastics. And. Um, and so we, we're connected with them, you know, as far as like a lot of our uh, practices and things like that. Um, so it, it's also kind of like the military, mm. right? Because this is, this is casual wear, right? <laughs> so this is literally the casual wear. Uh, when I go to a normal Sunday there, I mean, I've got like four layers of stuff, a big robe and, um, you know, everything you do, it, you, you've got to like just walking into the Zendo to the space. I've got to walk in with my left foot bow towards the the altar and I, when i leave the space i gotta left step out with my right foot i mean everything has a thing right um and it's that attention that that brings to every movement everything that you do that is uncomfortable and weird and nerve-wracking at first but once you get into that flow um and so you know for zen you know i i kind of like that um that order that it has because i'm a pretty chaotic person and so something about the order and the warrior's practice and sitting strong um you know, and you get hit with a stick too. You know, I like walk around with a stick and whap, whap you. <laughs> you know, um, to wake you up. You know, it's the stick of compassion or the encouragement, <laughs> the encouragement stick. And you know, I'm I'm a marine. I, I'm always gonna empathy. have. I'm always gonna Say, be a that marine too. Like a marine thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, in America, you got to ask for it. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I believe in Japan. Sometimes they'll just walk around and whack you with it. But you know, Americans you can get sued and stuff. Oh. <laughs> um, but you know, as so you'd be sitting there quiet for like a half a day or something, it was just stillness, and all of a sudden, whap, mm-hmm. over on the other side of the room. And if you were in La La Land, even if you didn't get hit, you're not in La La Land anymore. Just hearing that, you know, whew, attention, right? Attention, attention, attention. Um, and the old club of compassion. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but you, well, I, yeah, I don't want to focus too much on the stick, but it is a thing in Zen that <laughs> people are going to ask about. about the stick. <laughs> that people are going to ask about. So it, it, you ask for it. <laughs> you got to ask for it, and you bow. And there's these pressure points here um, that you hit, and it, it kind of just sends a jolt of energy to your brain. Mm-hmm. And when you're when you've been sitting there all day, day two, day three, like you're ready. <laughs> 
<laughs> really, just wake me up, please. You know, so if someone wanted to get, uh, I guess, introduced or or find information about Zen and the Zen practice, what would you recommend? Where they start, or would you just show up someplace, or? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I'm making it right now sound all hard and scary and stuff like that, but it's really like like the nicest people ever. It's, yeah, right. it's, it's everybody like on their best, like at almost all times, right? Um, and it's very welcoming. Um, you know, it's just when we sit, we sit still and we sit in silence. And um, sometimes there's a stick, but you don't have to partake in that, right? But um, yeah, so I my group is local um and empty circle meditation and our website's emptycirclemeditation.com or dot org and facebook page still right we do we do and i think that's a that's a really good place because you know i'm you know i'm not a sensei i am not a roshi i'm not a, a a high level teacher i'm not a teacher at all but i can teach you basic you know sazen you know basically what we're talking about right and um very welcoming very open and you'll see that or you can just go to the zen center that i'm a part of soji zen center in lansdowne pa website also soji zen center.com and everybody there's so welcoming so like nice and smiling at you and everything like that um and but when it's game on everybody's sitting quiet and they're focusing as hard as they can right um so yeah you could just show up it's if you were going to go to soji it so you know you can always look me up and i'll plug you in um sometimes it's what i called before i went so there's a number on the website you can call and somebody will call you back and talk to you and just kind of give you the lowdown because when you walk in it, it can especially soji not my place i don't think but soji i mean it can kind of look a little intimidating right because you got these people in robes and stuff like that there's people that aren't too there's lots of people that aren't um but once you kind of like say hi to somebody and everybody's like oh you're new here how can i help you out they're smiling and oh you do this it's like this don't worry don't be scared if you make a mistake it's all right you know everybody will kind of give a little chuckle inside you know and correct you and it's all good it just looks serious then they'll hit you with a stick yeah right then you get hit with a stick (laughs) yeah (laughs) if they don't meditate and force contact me instead of calling me i don't want it that's all i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's all safe to show up um and you'll get lots of good advice on body and, and the pain you know how to navigate the pain and you're allowed to move you know um Right. I mean, if you go to the monastery for a retreat, you know, they'll have somebody that says, don't move, you know, um, but you're allowed to move where we are. You know, so, so people get worried about what if I'm in pain, you know, am I going to feel bad about moving? No. The goal with the pain is to, if it's like a dull pain, it's just to notice it and be with it for a little while. Right. Instead of like pain, move, pain, move, pain, move. Right. And then like everything is movement. Right. Um, if you're feeling sharp pain, please move, move your body. We don't want you to get hurt. I had knee surgery because of this. Hmm. Like I literally, <laughs> all the things I've done, marine, rock climbing, guide, snowboarder, whatever, all that stuff, like I've taken as far as I felt like I could. I never hurt my body, maybe besides the broken fingers or something, but I, I tore my meniscus meditating. <laughs> I, I feel this as an aging thing. I, yeah. I get it. Like that would be, yeah, I got hurt sitting. But yeah. it was me though. I, w- I was That's sewing me. my robes. When I was about to be ordained, and I was leaning forward while sitting, and that, and I was pushing it too hard, and like sweating through it, and being a marine about it, mm-hmm. and now I got like a little bit of a trick knee, and like there's my lesson, 
middle ground, middle road, right? <laughs> yeah. Middle road. <laughs> I didn't have to do that, you know. So, so what form of meditation is horseshit? What form is horseshit? Walking meditation, dishes washing meditation. Like what oh, form of meditation is just not real? And dishwashing meditation might washing be better meditation. than all of them. I mean, I've done walking meditation. Right. I don't Check. know if it's real. I used to it try it is. in the morning. <laughs> it definitely is. So we do walking meditation every every day. So so in Zen, um, here's what it looks like. So you'll basically you'll sit thirty minutes, walk for about eight, um, and then at the ten minute mark, we should already be sit- seated, and we'll do another thirty minute sit. Um, in my group, we'll do just two thirty minute sits with walking meditation at Soji Zen Center. You'll do three, um, but the walking meditation is super important. Because you're meditating while you're walking. What you're doing is you're practicing taking your practice off of the cushion. You know, it's one thing to sit there in stillness in this beautiful environment of minimalism and like, you know, like, whap, you know. Right. Like, <laughs> but now, how do I walk around and do that? And that's practice to take it out into the world. Not only that, it helps us stay focused because we are about attention in ours. We're not about la-la land or going off on these trips, which they might be effective for some people. I don't really understand it that much. Um we're about attention. So we'll get up and walk for eight minutes in silence, sit back down, attention. You know. So would you, uh, what I got out of that was maybe the, the trips to outer space uh, version of meditation is the one you find the least useful or um, helpful. You know, I don't know. I don't know uh, enough about it, I suppose. I mean, uh, you know, there's this whole like psychedelics thing coming on right now and stuff like that where people are real into like using yeah. it to like connect to this part of them, the space or whatever, you know, not outer space, but like right, still, right, right. you know, whatever it is and, and to shift their consciousness and things like that. And, you know, maybe that's for some people um, the way many of us in Zen, I think I read this in a Sam Harris book. We don't, we don't need to, to change the lighting. We don't want to have to change the lighting and the way things look to be able to have that clarity mm. and that kind of open boundlessness. Right. Um, we stare at the floor and do it with clar- clarity. And being in recovery, I could see both, right? And for me personally, kind of experiencing that and, and cl- clearing out my mind with clarity is, is better for me. Because, um, man, when you do that with clarity, it's it's beyond words and that's the thing about this practice is and this is why i'm not a teacher yet someday probably hopefully but um it's because to be able to put that stuff into words it's it's without words and so it's a very special skill to kind of be able to kind of point to it Mm. with words Mm. right and i don't have that skill um yet i'm i don't have the stamp of approval yet (laughs) and rightfully so right? right when you when you talk to somebody who's a teacher and you're like, wow, okay. Like, I, I don't know. I can't do that yet. What's the Zen rule about farting and meditation? Because <laughs> mind is kind of like, don't force it out. But if it's there, be with it and let it go. Yeah. Well, I think farting is probably good. It's all good practice, right? So, like, um, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't want to, like, maybe you want to hold it if you're sitting next to people, but we <laughs> yeah, got incense burning, right? And, yeah. so, so every once in a while, I wonder if the incense is always there because... <laughs> That's what it's for. <laughs> or, like, like to cover you know, the sweating, because we I'll be in four layers of stuff, four thick layers of clothing in the summer, and no amount of air conditioning is going to cure that on, no. like, a oh, humid yeah. summer day, and you're sweating. Oof. I'm like, I wonder if the 
I wonder if way back in the day they started the, that because the BO might start again. <laughs> Maybe. Um, you know, but like to go to that and to go to like washing dishes meditation, that's really good practice. Like that, I, I'm not qualified to say better or worse. I mean, I mean, I would, but that's really good practice. Mm. Really good doing the dishes and being present with that. Like that's where the rubber meets the road hmm. for real. If you want to be present, brush your teeth with your non dominant hand. That is fucked oh, up. Okay. <laughs> Maybe that's a good little practice I'll try. It's interesting. It'll make you think. <laughs> to still well, hurt yourself. I definitely think I'm at a point in my life where I could use some more formal meditation practice or education. I, I've been meditating for, gosh, probably three or four years on a regular basis now. It's Now I'm only doing 10 minutes every morning because <laughs> it fits my schedule. I know I'm not even doing it right. Minutes. Um, I've been doing 20 ever minutes. since Dave made I fun know. of me. Well... <laughs> So here's was my experience, which is why I've just stuck with 10 most recently. I was doing 10 and then I got to 15 and then I got to 20. And to make a commitment, I do it in the morning when I wake up as part of like a morning routine. And like 20 minutes is now pretty close to like a half an hour. And that's adding a whole half an hour, which means getting up earlier and doing, you know, it, it it's a bigger commitment. And so when it got to that 20 minute mark, I found it harder to do and I stopped and got out of it. And then, you know, tried to get back in, tried to get back in, tried to do 20 minutes and couldn't do it. So then I was able to work back in. So I was like, all right, we'll just start over. We'll start back at 10 minutes and just do 10 minutes. And that's worked really well. So I've been doing that for like a year, probably a year, year and a half now, probably at least five or six days a week. And I feel like uh, I could, I, I know, I, not that I should. It would be really beneficial to add in either a second meditation later in the day when I had oh, yeah. 20 minutes or, you know, to try to find more time. But, you know, I'm the same as most people. I'm raising kids. I try to exercise yeah. every day. I'm already getting up at five to try to add in another 10 or 15 minutes of meditation means getting up at like 430, which fuck that five o'clock's already hard enough. You know, and I just feel like trying to add another 10 minutes of something is difficult and I haven't committed to it. Well, uh, I mean, I would just advise don't don't beat yourself up over not doing more. 10 is great. 10 is certainly way better than none. Yeah, it's better than none. Way That's better for sure. than none. Way, <laughs> you know, because you're doing it. Um, now, the thing with doing 30 minutes every morning um, or 20 or 25 um, is it's amazing you you may find like many of us have that you have more time in your day it's better managed yeah that's you what have, my previous like, sponsor used to tell me all the time it's he almost like miraculous that. yeah like, you can't even i can't even logically put it in like why am i getting like 10 times the amount of things done with relative ease when before i would have been scrambled all over the place right it's amazing and so i mean sometimes the question becomes you know is the extra half an hour of sleep more important to me today than that some days it might be, you know, I'm doing finals. I'm in grad school and I work full time plus, right? Sometimes that is, but, um, you know, the suggestion, um, is, you know, to, is a, a good place is like 20 minutes twice a day, but certainly 10 minutes once a day is infinitely better than no minutes. But yeah, I'm at a wandering spot now, so I need to find, because I went, I, I've tried different apps and I've messed around with different stuff and Sam Harris has an app. It does a Zog Chen practice yeah. uh he's real into zog chen and that i don't know i that, it's too smart for me it's too heady <laughs> like, my understanding of that and and, and zen has uh from 
my limited understanding, there, there's a lot of there's some similarities. Um, I don't know about in practice itself, but in this aspect of it, that um, a teacher is really great. I believe a vast majority of us can only go so far without a teacher, right? Um, and here's the thing, because you might get to this point where you might have these experiences of clarity and everything like that and, and not know what to do with it. And then it's just gone. And, um, or maybe you think you do when you're not having these experiences of clarity. And then you're kind of really like all over the place because you're heading down a path that, you know, so a teacher, there's, there comes a time where I believe a teacher is very important. Um, and maybe you're there. I think I am because I, it's like, I know meditation is beneficial. I know it's good for me when I do it, but I don't know why I'm doing it or what I'm actually doing. <laughs> like, you like, that point, well. They told me to do it in the steps and nobody talks about it much in meetings. So I'm going to do this. <laughs> and Sam Harris talks about that practice. And he, what he, one thing he said about it is, and just the way he put it, and I've heard this before all over, you know, meditating communities, but he's kind of put it really directly and like straight up is like, you know, somebody that hasn't done all the practice before getting to the kind of like higher level stuff if they just jump to the higher level stuff and maybe they do even have like these moments or whatever and then they'll be like they don't know what to just like so what right <laughs> what do you mean so what like i've been working eight years <laughs> you know for that kind of clarity this is like this is so important and the thing about it is, is that this stuff is so subtle buddhism's known uh, at least from what i know about there's a lot of these subtle shifts and these shifts can be so subtle, but so changing, you know, um, they're so subtle, they're easy to miss. So I actually looked up this conversation and I, and I partially forgive Dave already, uh, because my question that, <laughs> that led to this answer only partially was a kind of dumbass question. Um, so I was thinking about meditation and I, I was thinking we go into the gym and you don't just like put 300 pounds on the bench and do it once. Like we do sets, right? And repetitions in these sets. Yeah. And so I was like, I had this epiphany that I should meditate in repetitions and sets and it would be Five somehow minutes. better. Yeah, I think I remember us talking yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and I reached out, I was like, I asked him because I, I heard he knew some shit about meditation. I was like, so hey, what I if I meditated now. in like these three minute sets with like a minute space in between? Would that make me stronger meditating or whatever? And uh, so that's where his answer came from. So I, I that was already a terrible question. But he didn't even say this was from him. He said, my teacher always told me that you don't really get the total benefit of meditation until at least 20 minutes. Oh, so now you got to be mad at his teacher. His <laughs> next sentence was, I mean, a few minutes is better than no minutes. <laughs> it is. And that's where people start. You know? yeah. I mean, that's where people start. And, and act, getting access to the desire to do this is huge. Right? Um, it's like white key tag or something right, right. <laughs> like getting the access to get to get there is gosh without that none of it exists so if you liked the short meditation sample that david did and you think you are everything read conversations with god and if you think you are not you are the observer of everything read the untethered soul <laughs> both excellent books and both very interesting mm -hmm. in their direction they take it well there's going to be a big aspect of this that you you know that we kind of are everything right but um it's 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 helpful at times to just to to realize that we can silently observe you know like our thinking and that's what that exercise was about because i i find with a lot of people that's a it's a quick little shift mm -hmm. you'd be like oh crap like there's a whole me in there that is not like this chatter. Right. Like, yeah, and that's right. what that was about. Like, 
And so, like, I do this that with kids at work, and like, they come to me. They're like, "Can we do that again?" You know, like, they're all stressed out, and now they realize that they can sit through. And you know, and if you can't, if you can't sit through some thinking and not get carried away with it every single time, then you're gonna have a harder time doing. I wish stuff. I could find a meditation that worked for my kids. They think it's punishment if I make <laughs> yeah. them meditate. They're like, "Oh God, really?" I'm like, "Yeah, come on, just like three minutes." Like, "Oh God." This is so terrible. <laughs> I think it was Eckhart Tolle that, that opened me to the idea that when we think we're two people, we're the talker and the listener at the same time. And like one of the ways to try to help not get caught up in thinking is to try to actively only be the listener, mm-hmm. right? Because yeah. then the talker shuts up. Yeah, meditation's definitely made me a better listener. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in any conversation, just try focusing on your breath during the conversation. You know, that was uh, advice was given to me. And it's like when I do that, especially when I'm like, getting ready to respond, I'm just waiting for them to finish so I can say some stuff that I think is smart. You know, just focus on my breath and really listen. What I got out of today was that I've spent somewhere between eight and ten years thinking that there was some magical thing about multiples of seven and counting your breath in seven (laughs) or 21 and apparently it doesn't fucking matter it was an arbitrary number that i was given i think that 21 and and i could be a little off on this but there's um like mala beads and i think they can come in a and they might like roll the beads in there and so I don't know. I could be off on the number, but it might be connected to that. This sounds like I the don't really Catholicism know. of meditation. Right. right. <laughs> I was doing the Hail Mary. Right? <laughs> I got rosary I beads, all rosary this beads. form and robes. And well, I, I wear I wear just, you know, one string of beads like this. And this is not lots of Zen practitioners will, even though it's really a kind of, as I understand it, more of a Tibetan thing. But the reason I do is because these dangling things so hit me and they can be a little annoying. And it's just a little reminder you know, and if I'm like really in like an intense situation, <laughs> sometimes where I got to keep my mouth shut and it's really hard, you know, I can kind of just take them and just kind of like hold them in my lap and just kind of some little mindfulness thing. But for it, does not really doesn't really symbolize much as I understand it for us. But it is kind of I just I just kind of like you know grounding. Right. Is the goal to be grounded in groundlessness? Is that the goal? Um. Or, or ungrounded anyway. Like, so I always want to qualify to answer that question. Ah, <laughs> I want that answer. I keep asking everybody and nobody really knows. <laughs> oh. Well, cause I hear like a lot of times, uh, in, in a different arena, uh, we go for grounding and helping people be grounded. Right. right. And I, I know there's like some benefits to that and that's yeah. a great practice for that. But then, you know, the whole, my concept of the little bit I know of the Buddhist philosophy is like to be okay exploring the ungrounded because that's truly where we're at like we don't really have any fucking ground at any point in time this building could blow up we all die other people die we love die like don't be grounded but i'm like is that being grounded in groundlessness see this is where words are the problem Mm, i like that this is where words become a problem and um this is where i'm limited in in my use of words because I don't have a deep enough understanding or clarity yet as somebody like my teacher or some of the most senior people that are at our meditation place. So yeah, that that's starting to sound, just hearing you, that's starting to sound more like a problem of words. Mm. I'm going to go seek out uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, listen to some of his shit. He's probably got something <laughs> on it. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he probably does. His talks are nice. They're very relaxing. They're very long. He talks very yeah, yeah. slowly. 
like that, which is nice sometimes. But um, at our Zen center, um, our talks are typically around 20 minutes, um, something like maybe a little bit longer at times, but they're, they, they tend to be very direct. Um, like, boom, here's some the stuff. And they like, hit you with the stick. <laughs> yeah. They hit you with the stick of, of compassion. <laughs> of compassion. Uh, so uh, final thoughts. What's sell people on the fact that meditation would improve the fuck out of their lives if they just started it. Mm. Uh, what easy convincing scheduling, like how do you fit it in? What is it that people need to hear to start them on this journey? Because I think all three of us would definitely agree. Meditation is hugely beneficial for our personal lives. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So sell them on it. You know, it, it's back to working out. It can be like this. If you are going to the gym every day and looking in the mirror half the time and just waiting for waiting for that stuff to grow, and you're like, maybe I'm a little bit bigger, right? <laughs> um, you're going to be disappointed a lot, right? But when you go to the gym and every day and you don't look in the mirror really that much, and you, but you're working out diligently and you're taking good nutrition and you're doing it the right way, and then all of a sudden you might catch yourself in the mirror after three months and be like, oh. I'm a little trimmer. I look a, a little development going on here. They can be like that with meditation. All of a sudden, like there'll be a situation where I realize that I would have reacted most likely poorly. Mm. And all of a sudden, you know, with some level of ease, I didn't. And it was actually a beneficial exchange rather than one that I'm going to end up apologizing for. Um, or maybe it is all of a sudden for the ability for me to take time and put myself in somebody else's shoes, right? And and see that they are a suffering person just like me, right? And to be able to really ex experience that with like deep empathy, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of like quieting of the mind and ability to kind of like step away from the ego just a little bit, you know, or maybe a lot bit, right? Um, and there's also some immediate gratification in my, for me is I can't think of any time where I have sat or I've meditated and come out of it worse. Hmm. I, I, I always come out of it a little bit better or maybe a lot better depending on what's going on. Right. But I have yet to come out, <laughs> sit it and be like, now I'm worse. <laughs> you know, uh, that has not happened. <laughs> that meditation <laughs> fucked me all yeah. right. It has not day. happened to me. I actually, and I want to take what David said and, and full force into parents. If you find that, you know, from your own parents, you have a reactive parenting style or you walk away from disciplining your kids or, or, or questioning your children in ways that don't make you feel good about yourself, fucking meditation has done worlds mm. for me in that arena yeah. to be able to just react with much, much slower. Right. Just so where afterwards I can say, man, I thought through that before I said that to them and thank the fucking Lord I did because <laughs> it was about to get ugly when yeah. they did that. And to have a little bit of tolerance for yes. mistakes and, you know, things and, and things that would normally get me so upset. And at, for you kids because kids are just idiots. Drink or a mess not cleaned up and the blowing up over that stuff yes. to be like, just be able to sit down and go, hey, dude, you. I mean, I get it that you spilled something on the floor. You can't just leave it there. You got to clean it up. You know? <laughs> how do I how do I instill those kind of shifts for them a little bit? You know, right. Like shift mm -hmm. in, in the way we're doing things, a little paradigm shift, right? Because I kind of work on that with myself, right? Stepping outside of my habits 
because our, our our habits really are the things that can cause a lot of separation between us and others. Mm. And, and even with our problems. kids, like my kids won't, I mean, I've invited them to actively meditate and stuff like that. They don't seem too interested, but also they are fully aware that it's a practice that my wife and I both do. You know what I mean? That it's something that we do to take care of ourselves, just like watching what we eat and exercise and every day. We don't make them do those things, but they are aware that that is those are Good. worthwhile endeavors, you know, to to undertake. I hope I hope they observe those things for when they get a little bit older. They don't do it because you don't have the stick of compassion to hit them. Yeah, that's what I. <laughs> my girls that's love what that. I need: the stick of compassion. They're like, and they hit daddy with it, and uh, right. they clip my ear, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is good practice. Um, but my my kids wax and wane with it. You know, um, one <laughs> good way I bait my kids with it, you can stay up a little later tonight if you sit with daddy. <laughs> it's bedtime now, but if you want to come sit for 20 minutes, you can. Um, they usually fall asleep, but then I carry them to their bed and it's all cute and sweet. And, you know, I love it. I love those moments. <laughs> yeah, you got teenagers. So they're up late. I mean, I'm up at five, so I'm in bed by like 10 o'clock. They're up later than me most every yeah. night. They I need can't. to be. Yeah. They're, they're circadian rhythms later. Yeah. Yeah, anything else, Bill? No, that's it for me. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you very your, much for your coming experience on. Experience and your wisdom about meditation. Uh, final thought: just can't say enough about meditating and what it's done for my life when I practice it daily. Right, and that's the I think the key words to all this recovery stuff. When I do it regularly and daily, it has a huge impact on my life, usually in very positive ways. Um, so go out there and meditate. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>